All right, so good morning once again. As always, it's a true honor to be here and to have the opportunity to, to speak on a Sunday morning. It's not one that I take lightly and one that I pray I never do. It's always my uh, most nerve-wracking weeks of my life leading up to this, uh, but I'm thankful for it um, because, it's, uh, because the Lord is worthy um, of that kind of attention, um, and I believe that His Word does that for us in our lives. So we finished up partners in the gospel last week, and coming a few weeks into this, we had some schedule adjustments, and Pastor Ben was out during the week, and he asked me, and we kind of had gone back and forth on a couple ideas, and he, he came up with the at kind of, I wouldn't say it was the last moment, but finally he said, you know, look, it's just a free week. Um, go ahead and preach whatever the Lord has on your heart. And for some of you, you may think, wow, that's pretty cool, right? But I have to admit, when he said that, I was like, oh, man, I was hoping for a syllabus I was hoping for a roadmap, you know, it just works well with my personality, um, but then I said, okay, Lord, well, let's, we'll walk through it and begin to think about some things, and the week prior, uh, Rachel and I went on a, to a, a pastors and wives conference up in Missouri, and um, he said, you know, he said, when you get back, he said, you'll, you'll have fully solidified, the Lord will do a work, and he was, and he was true, he did, he laid some things on my heart before, and then just kind of through some of the teaching that was there, and, and I'll share some of that, some of that journey with you, but um, I do believe the Lord has, um, you know, he has not spoken to me audibly, but he has given us his word, which is, which is his word. So I want to walk through that. I've titled today's message, All One in Christ Jesus, All One in Christ Jesus. And that comes from Galatians three twenty six through 28, which I'll share with you shortly. And that's the last part of it there. So although this may feel like it's kind of a continuation of partners in the gospel, it in fact is not. Um, I think that so many times these things tend to be similar because when you preach the gospel, it's the gospel each and every time, and they make connection and so forth. So it will have that feel, but that wasn't the intention. This is what I believe the Lord was looking at for us. So here we are, all one in Christ Jesus. Many of you may have heard that before. I want to read the text here and and jump into it. It says, For in Christ you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, and there is neither slave nor free, and there is no male and female, for you all are one in Christ Jesus. Right? We are all one in Christ Jesus. So when you look at that text, it gives us a couple comparisons of things it says or not, right? Jew, Greek, slave, free, male, female. And you say, well, yeah, of course those things exist. That's not what he's telling us, what he's shown us. He's shown us that aside from those things, there's something even deeper, and that's that we're all one in Christ Jesus, regardless of our classifications. Uh, when I was thinking about this, all, you know, all one in Christ Jesus, I couldn't help but think about the three musketeers, right? And their famous line, right? All for one and one for all, right? Now, I don't believe the three musketeers had any spiritual implications in that, uh, but the truth is, as, as partners in the gospel... We are all for one and one for all as we walk in this. Um, it's just say, you know, if you haven't watched the movie, sorry for you. Um, but, you know, the past seven weeks as we've gone through this Partners in the Gospel, I had the opportunity to speak on one of the, on one of the earlier ones there. And it's, it's kind of a mark before this where I just, you know, the Lord was stirring some things in my heart. And I kind of started to reflect back on that as we went through this series. And, you know, in verse 5 is where he introduced this idea of being partners in the gospel. There's a partnership in the gospel. And what that really means when we say we're partners and we're walking alongside of each other. Verse 7, he gives us this information that he said, I I hold you in my heart, right? We just begin to see this tenderness for him, for the church, and for for people, and what I believe ultimately God's creation. And then in verse 8, and he says he does all of this with the affection of Christ Jesus. Right, so as I begin to play those things out of my mind, I begin to think about it, I begin to, to ponder what that really means over this time as I sat there. And, you know, the Lord just, just was just working in my heart in so many different ways and so many different capacities. And I would have to say it's really longer than that. For any of you that are, have walked with the Lord for any length of time, you know that daily He's working in our hearts and our lives. I think sometimes we have those moments where it's like, wow, it was right then and there. But I think there's other times where we take a step back and we say, Man, I did not even realize what the Lord has been doing in my heart. And that's, and that's what the Lord does. He's faithful to do that in our lives as we, as we study Him and as we learn more about Him. But, you know, I was, I was posed with this question many, many, many years ago. 
Um, and, it, and it comes to this idea of seeing people the way God sees them. Um, and when I say many, many years ago, this is when I was right after I graduated college. Um, and, you know, you're figuring out things in life and so forth. And I remember being posed with that question in my conscience. You know, you know, Matt, do you see people the way that I see people? Um, and, of course, it was, a, it was a humbling moment. So as I was preparing for this, and as Pastor Ben asked me to kind of speak on my heart, you know, I thought about this is probably one of those messages where Pastor Renee would have started off with saying, now you love me, right? Right? How many times have you heard him say that? Now you love me, right? So you always knew when he said you love me, right? Uh, there was going to be some opportunity that you may not love him through the message. Um, but I do come to you with, with great compassion um, in this area, with, with true conviction. Um, I've, I don't know that I've ever been stirred more emotionally um, in preparation of messages before than this one. So I'm praying that the Lord is doing a work in his church. Going back, like I told you, it was a time where the Lord questioned me on this and, and, and had me think deeply about it. So what I want us to think about when it comes to being partners in the gospel because that's what we've been called to do, I believe there's a particular area um, of sin that as a church, um, not only living word church, but as a body of believers, that we've got to get a hold of, and we've got to get a grip on, and we've got to, probably more important than anything, recognize, ultimately. You know, it's hard enough to be a partner, right? In itself, we learned about this the last seven weeks, the struggle that comes with being a partner. But here's the thing. The gospel also says that you need to be a partner. So how do you become this partner in the gospel? How do we become this partner if we are not engaged with people in this, in this walk? Right? So partnership is hard enough, but I want to take it, step up, take it back even a step further in this idea of how, as a, as a body of believers, we actually can get to a place of even being a partner. Right? We know we are all sons and daughters in Christ. We know what the Lord has done, but now each one of us have a personal responsibility to walk this out. So that's where we're going to go with that today, and particularly when someone's not like us. The struggles that we face today are no different than ones that were faced during the New Testament church, right? Would you all agree with that? Do you all have any new struggles here today, in, in theory? I mean, yeah, we might have different things that are with technology and so forth, but the reality is, is we're dealing with the same things. Look here at Paul when he shows us he's speaking to the church at Ephesus, in Ephesians 2.14, and he says, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Right? Paul's speaking some profound things there. So he says, I want us to bring, I want to, bring to light a couple of things here, but the one there is that there's this dividing wall of hostility. That's what he's saying, his flesh ultimately engaged. When you look at that, in that day, there was a physical wall um, in the city, in the, in the temple courts that would have been speaking to from a physical standpoint. This, the particular one there that would have been in the, um, in the middle there, historians believe around A.D. 70 it was actually physically broke down. But we know as believers in A.D. 33, spiritually, those walls were broke down, right? That there was no more differentiation between, between the classes, between the people, the Jew and the Gentiles. We see it so commonly in Scripture. But you know, that wall only represented a much, much, much bigger problem, right? It wasn't the physical wall that was the issue. It was the spiritual wall that was still in place by man because he believed his ways. The Jew believed that they were superior to that of the Gentile and the ways that they needed to do. Even though they may have known the reality of the resurrection, they still had a continual struggle of going back to their law and, 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 and lording that over them. And so forth. So we see this thing developing here. So I ask you this. Do we see others as Christ sees them or through the lens of age, disability, employment status, gender, social status, race, religion, how they talk, etc.? Which lens do we see people through? Do we see them through the idea that they are all one in Christ? Or do we look at circumstances and situations and begin to develop a thought process of who that person is. We need to see people the way God sees us. What did Scripture tell us? That we, are the, we were created in the image of God, right? The Imago Dei, right? How many of you have heard that? 
Maybe heard that song, a teaching, right? That's the image of God. There's one bloodline in Christ, and we are those image bearers of the one true God, right? That's how the Lord sees us. Look in Genesis 1, 26 through 27. And then God said, let us make human beings in our image. That's how we know God wasn't by himself there. To be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, the livestock, and all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Right? What a, just an amazing thing to think of, that we were created in the image of God. Despite how we would walk out our physical lives, whether we would name the Lord as our Savior or not, we were still all created in the image of God. That's powerful. That's a big deal. So I was reading that. It kind of brings us to the next section. And I have to admit, when I was studying to go to the next section of text in Acts, um, I was reminded of how just it's one of my uh, favorite passages. So in that part in Genesis, he talks about that he will reign over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and the livestock and all the wild animals. And as I was reading, I was, thinking about, I was thinking about Peter and how they had this struggle in their day in the church that we're talking about here ultimately. And I was brought over to Acts 10. Well, if, you know, if, you, if you're familiar with the text here, there's a section in it that tells Peter to rise, to kill, and to eat. Right? So it's a hunter's dream verse. I remember before the Lord really showed me what that text meant, I'm thinking, man, there is something about hunting in the Bible. This is awesome, right? I remember Phil, Phil Robinson, the great duck commander. It was his banner verse. Was the, I think it was the first verse I memorized other than the Lord's Prayer. And I didn't even realize I was memorizing probably Scripture when I did that. But Acts 10 was when I was like, yes, rise, kill, and eat. Men, you know, hunting is so fun. I got one of these, I got one of these cameras, actually my dad does, that sends you the picture as soon as it takes it, from the, like on a cell phone. That is such a bad invention. Man, I'm just like constantly updating my phone, trying to see what's, what's scurrying around. And um, there's a lot of good stuff out there. I'm excited. Season opens here in a couple days. The Lord is moving. I'm believing a cold front's on its way. But there's actually something a little bit more serious here than that. Acts 10, and I want to share this. We're going to kind of bounce off of this for the message here. Acts 10, verses 9 through 16 says, the next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. And in it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice that said, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up once into heaven. So we see this picture playing out for Peter. And what we know is, is this idea of unclean would have been speaking to their dietary requirements, uh, some of their customs, circumcision. But these animals represented uncleanness. How many of you... Um, like pork. Like pork, that's right. Well, in their day, that was a bad thing. They would call that the viande la cachon, right? Who likes some cachon? It's terrible for you, but it is so good. But Peter's, Peter's looking at this here, and he's, and he's, and he's seeing all this. He's like, God, I would, never, I would never touch any of that, right? You know, you know how Peter is. He kind of keeps to continually put his foot in his mouth. You know, he can't see it. He can't see it coming. So we see that the, the, the same struggle was here. Is Peter, is, Peter walked with Christ, was a, was, a, was a believer in Jesus Christ, saved, but yet he still kept getting clouded by his views and the simple fact of not seeing the people around him ultimately the way the Lord said. What does the Lord say there? What God has made clean, do not call common. Right? That, would have blown, that would have blown their mind. But look, fast forward a little bit. Peter gets corrected, he sees it, right? But just go forward a little bit further, and he's back to his old ways. Paul has to call him out on something. He's got to call him out on some things he's doing wrong. You know, it would be like similar to us to, you know, today, like we're sitting here in church, and 
I'm reminded of something that someone did wrong, and I, and I stand up in church and I call them out. Like I say, Pastor Vern, uh, stand up. We've got to let the church know some things. And then we say, so this is what Pastor Vern did. But then I had nothing to say because he's so amazing. Right? I wouldn't actually do that anyway. But he is amazing. So here we go. Paul calls him out. He calls out, he calls out Peter. And, let's, and let's look what happens here in Galatians 2, 12 and through 14. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentile to live like a Jew? Right, so he puts him in his place. He's like, so you're saying that you, know, you don't have to follow the Jewish customs in order to follow the Lord, and you're acting that out, but as soon as your Jewish buddies show up, then you hurry up and, and try to get away and separate yourself from that to go back with there. He's like, dude, that's, that's not, as he said, in step with the truth of the gospel. Right? So Peter just, as true to form, just continually goes through this. So I, got to, I, got, I started thinking about those. So what made Peter revert back? Why do we see this back and forth in his life where he gets it, but then he acts it out? He gets it, and he acts it out. And I said, you know what? It's how we are so much, right? We're convicted. We, we, someone speaks truth in our life, and then, we, and then we go back, right? Because we get caught up in some things. So I started to think about that in more, more depth, and there's three areas of that particularly that I want to talk about today. All going back to this idea of, first of all, that we're all one in Christ Jesus. And on top of that, seeing people the way the Lord sees them. So it brings us to our first point. That our pride makes us believe that our ways are superior. How many of you believe that your ways are superior? All right, you all are very, very perceptive in the trap, right? But here's the truth. Some of you do. And that's okay, because we do that from time to time. That's, that's, who, that's, that's, our, that's our nature that ends up coming out. But when you think about the word pride, right, we hear that a lot. The pride becomes before the fall. I mean, that's a common word we use in Christian talk. But it's ultimately a proud or uh, disdainful behavior or treatment. It's essentially excessive amounts of uh, conceit. Right? We know what pride is. But our pride makes us believe that because of our beliefs and because of that we're superior. Look, what, look in Acts 10, 14 there. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. He puffs up, right? His, his, his beliefs as a, as, a, as, a, as a Jewish man is like, No, I would never do anything like that. But in Antioch, where we saw a little bit later in Galatians, he was okay with being with the Gentiles until his Jewish buddy showed up, Right? So his, his, his pride got in the way. It stepped in front of what he knew to be true. It wasn't in accordance with the truth of the gospel. Well, he knew what the truth of the gospel was, but it kept coming back. It kept coming back. To take of the unclean and that they would have been detestable, right? It was just this situation of he's like, he'd go to the Gentiles and he'd say, listen, act like me. Act like what? Act like a, a Jewish person. Well, you just said that that's not what it means to be a believer. Yeah, but... Yeah, but, but, but this is a good way. This is a good way. It's just like for us here today, right? You meet someone and you begin to share your convictions of things that are formed in your own life and not necessarily having any biblical basis for it, but you think it's the right thing. You think it's a good thing, so it's your way. So you say, as a Christian, this is what we do. We do this as a Christian, right? But is that necessarily where the Lord, what the Lord has for that person? Right? Do they need to act like? What did, what did Paul say there? How can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Right? You're, you're saying that that's not what, how it's supposed to be. But I thought about two areas that we do that here in our culture. So what areas of our culture ultimately trump something else in someone else's culture? Because right? that's what we're talking about here. 
And I thought one of those was, is religion. How many of you are religious? Man, y'all good. I'm going to catch y'all on one of these. You know, religion gets us in this place of, 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 of right and wrong. And listen, don't, don't misunderstand what I'm not saying in that it's, there is a right way when it comes to salvation and the Lord Jesus Christ, okay? That's not even to be disputed, okay? But what I'm talking about is from the next layer of being able to see past some of that things in order that the truth of the gospel can be advanced in those situations. That's what I'm talking about. So don't, don't get too hard on me because I'm, I'm still born-again believer, grace, faith, Christ alone, not changing that stance, right? It's not about accepting a religion. We're talking about an acceptance of God's creation. We're talking about viewing people that they are image bearers of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we're discussing. But what has thwarted the gospel so much in our community is these differences based around our beliefs, and not because we want somebody to, once again, I'm not talking about salvation. I'm talking about seeing people the way the Lord sees them, right? How many of you have certain churches in this community that you would have no problem talking to those people and meeting up with them and sharing and other ones that you would avoid at all cost, right? Why? Because we have, I believe, we're in a place that what we believe has, in, in, in the ways in which we believe certainly is so strong that we're unable to see people the way the Lord sees them, right? Think about it when you go to a store. You know, what are the easiest people for you to smile at and to talk to? Ones that look like you, ones that talk like you, ones that you think may think like you. And the other ones we, we glance off of and we shy off of and we miss the opportunity for the purity of the gospel, for the truth of the gospel. Our boasting comes in Christ alone. Second Corinthians ten seventeen. let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. It's not, it's not our pride. It's, not our thing. It's, it's the Lord in whom we boast in. It's not about, look, this is where we get hung up. It's not about being right or wrong, okay? It's about seeing, once again, God's creation the way he sees them. We can debate, we can debate about right and wrong in a different place at a different time, but let's do it after the purity of the gospel has gone forth. Let's worry about it. Let's worry about it then. There's souls that are on the line. The next part is our social economic status. You know, some of you from up to Baya, some of you from down to Baya, some of you from the other Baya. We even had Pastor Ben a few weeks ago giving, you know, praise to Lafouche, right? You know, it's a shame. It's a shame. <laughs> Forgive me, Pastor. You know, we have different places we live. We have, and, and, and once again, remember, this is, I'm not asking you to go drag up your house and go move it somewhere where you don't think you belong, okay? Don't be crazy on me. I'm challenging us to think differently about the things that go on around us. You know, it is completely natural that we, we live in certain areas and certain places with family, friends, all those, there's nothing wrong with that. But if it gets in the way of the truth of the gospel, that's what we're talking about here this morning. That's what we're going through. You know, you think about the communities that you live in. Um, I know one thing I've always been concerned about anywhere I've lived is what my neighbor was going to do or not do to his property in order to help my property value. Right? Any of you ever had that fear? Yeah? You know, some of you might have the messy neighbor. Right? But here's the problem. If your view of the messy neighbor stops you from going next door and telling him about the truth of the gospel, your heart's in the wrong place. Who cares about your property value? That brother or sister needs to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Can the Lord not take care of your property value? And even if it goes down the tubes, is that the end of the world? No, of course not. You know, I believe the Lord puts you in a place because he needs you there for the advancement of the gospel. That's the only reason why you're there. And I speak with a, from a personal struggle with this at times, right? Like even to the point of like, man, if I could buy up everything in a 10-mile radius of my home. Well, that's just craziness. I mean, some of you might be able to, right? And talk to me after service. Um, but where we live, the areas we hang out in our communities, there's places that some of us in here, we would never even consider going in our community for the sake of, the sake of our pride and our weight it gets in the way. And once again, 
I understand. I'm not speaking of issues of safety and all these other things. I'm not asking you to go climb. You know, when we used to have the old train bridge downtown, those kinds of crazy things. But like, be okay with if the Lord says, talk to that brother or sister, right? And if nothing else, just the simple way that we view it, the perspective, the perspective that we have on it, who we are and our pride and what has, we've got to set that ultimately aside. But the Lord cleared that up once again real good for Peter. Acts ten fifteen, And a voice came to him a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. And the picture there for us is the Lord's creation is his creation. And our job is to engage it with the truth of the gospel. Because we're all one in Christ Jesus. He corrected him again in Galatians, right? Once again, talking about the truth of the gospel. Listen here, pride cannot get in the way of the gospel. We owe our lives to the gospel. If you stand here today as a believer in Jesus Christ, you owe your life to the gospel. If you stand here today and you have not named the Lord as your Lord and Savior, you need to. And then you too will then owe him your life. The gospel has that kind of power. But our pride is not the only thing. And this is not an exhaustive list for the sake of time, but I believe number two is that our preconceptions hinder our view of the Imago Dei, the image of God. Our preconceptions hinder our view of Imago Dei. And that's Latin, in case you're wondering. Preconception is to form an opinion prior to actual knowledge or experience. We form an opinion before our actual knowledge or our experience, right? That's what it is, pretty straightforward. We look back at the idea of the image of God, Genesis 1.26a, then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. And then in 127, he closes out, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. All of creation, we are different than the rest of all of creation. We were created in the image of God. We are the bearers of his image. So what things help us form these preconceptions in our lives? Well, I've got two of them for us to look at. One, our upbringing and what we listen to. Our upbringing and what we listen to. You know, for some of us, it was our parents. Right? How many times when a kid says something, you say, they definitely heard that at the house, right? They definitely heard their parents say that. And sometimes it's positive, sometimes it's negative. And sometimes you're like, that's way above their age limit. They clearly heard that. Our parents and our homes have great influence and great impact in our children. And we need to take that serious. So for something to you that may not seem that big of a deal or, or you don't explain it well enough, ends up being in your child a preconception because they've not experienced that particular thing, potentially. But they know what you said, and because of the impact and because of the value that you have in their lives, we cling on to it, Right? It's, 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 why we, it's why we are so intentional in the studying of, the, of preaching the gospel and teaching our children the word of God because we know that they hang on to those things and those things are good. We have to, do, we have to be careful, though, in what we portray. We've got to be careful on how we show it to them. Also, in our, what we listen to, I thought about the news and the media. Maybe you listen to the news and the media, right? Well, in our news and our media... Clearly, there's, it's, it's particularly not Christian, right? And we see all kinds of things. And we particularly see a big struggle between this idea of Republicans and Democrats and independents and all the other laundry lists of uh, parties that they have, right? But I was doing some research, and I was looking up those words in the Greek. And you know what it said? It said, it's all sinners that are going to hell apart from faith in Jesus Christ not really what it says, but it's the truth. It's the truth. Your classification matters not. What matters is have you placed ultimately your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior? But here's the thing. We listen to those things, and the more we listen to it, it is how we think. It is how we, and so many of those things we've not experienced. We are hearing stories, and we're hearing a constant battery of just information coming from all different angles, it all has an agenda with it, right? It all has an agenda. Now, am I saying you should not know about things going on around you in your community and your culture? I'm not saying that at all. 
But we have to understand, does it put us in a position, does it place preconceptions in our life that we begin to see people differently than the way the Lord does? Do we now begin to look at it through that lens that's being constantly put in us over and over again? I know many years ago, I had to, I had to do this in my own life. I had to take a step back and say, Matt, it's, it, is, it is driving you in a place that's not good. It is driving you to a place that is a problem that, we have to, that you have to do differently. Am I still up to date? Do I still care? Do I still desire righteousness and all these things? And, I, and, and am I thankful for what the Lord has put into place in his institution of government? Absolutely. But it cannot get in the way of how we view the Lord's creation. We are all one in Christ Jesus. The second one is ours and others' experiences. You know, sometimes we make assumptions that someone else doesn't want to be around us because we think they don't like us. Have anybody ever made that assumption? Right? But we have no idea. Right? We have no idea of knowing if that's true or not. And even if it is, does it really matter? Should it stop the truth of the gospel going forward? Of course not. You know, we don't want to associate with others because it's uncomfortable. It's not, you know, it's just not an easy thing. Right? How many of you just say, well, you walk up to somebody, you talk to them, you're like, that was awkward. Awkward. Well, guess what? The Lord made awkward. And you awkward too, probably sometimes. It's just a fact. We've all walked in awkward. So, don't let awkward stop the truth of the gospel advancing in our lives. You're all weird, just, you just don't know it yet. <laughs> and it becomes, in some cases, hostile, unfortunately. Uh, we went to kids camp this past summer. And for those of you there will remember the story. There was a gentleman there who's the worship leader. The Lord called him and his family to New York as missionaries. He's from uh, the Bossier City area. He got two or three young kids. They go up there, and he's beginning to talk. So he's sharing his story on some of that. Um, and how many of you here have a preconception of how New, Yorker, New Yorkers act? You can raise your hand for this one. No trick here. Right? Yeah, we all, we, you know, from the South, we, we have this idea that they're, um, you know, stuck up and they don't want to talk and they're very harsh and quick and, you know, we're over here, let's sit down and drink sweet tea and, you know, have a coffee. You know, so we begin to, we've got this preconception of who they are because that's what we see on TV shows. Some of you may even have been there and actually experience it to a certain state. But you know what I thought was interesting what he said was what they learned is he thought he went up there with the same preconception. You know, he was trying to figure out why the Lord called him to New York City of all places. You know, country boy to New York City. And he gets out there and he begins to talk and he begins to interact with people. And what he finds out, once again, could there be people that are truly stuck up? Yes, some of you are here today. Um, (laughs) And the Lord is working in your heart. But that wasn't the point. What he was saying is, here's the truth. There really is in their culture this idea of instantaneous getting from point A to point B. You don't do anything in between. I got a job to do, a task to complete. Don't bother me. I'm on a mission. When I knock off, we can talk. So they learned real quick that really most of the people were very nice people that they started bringing into their home. But their preconception initially, had they gone with that, you know, he would dare to say how much ministry would have they been able to do because nobody liked them. But the truth was, is no, it was just, they were different. Now, once again, could there have been problems? Of course, but that's not what we're being called. We've been called to see in people the way the Lord does, despite what we see going on around us. Um, we had an amazing week in the Corns family this week. Um, the Lord has blessed us and completed the adoption process in our home. Yeah. Two amazing, two amazing, beautiful girls, uh, Avery and Miley, and it was just, a, it was been a great week, right? Uh, we had adoption, and Pastor Ben wasn't here, and uh, I preached on Wednesday, I preached on Sunday, I did growth track, I uh, was off on Thursday. It was an amazing week, really, it was. Um, but one of the things that was so cool, what happened on Tuesday, uh, we go through the process, it was just a great joy, we spent some time together as a family, and did some fun things, and... Uh, Wednesday morning, um, after Rachel dropped them off at school, uh, when they got there, one of the ladies that works the car line gave, gave them some books and some, some really sweet things. And, and, and the books were, uh, if I don't get it cr- exactly right, but it basically was Why a Daughter Needs a Daddy was one book and Why a Daughter Needs a Mom. Uh, so it was really sweet books. 
Um, we're sitting in the van, and of course, Avery, she loves to read to us, and so she's reading these books to us, and Rachel's, you know, sobbing, um, and, you know, we're, we're going through it. It's just, such, it's just a precious thing, and she, she read something in there, and I was like, that's it. I was like, that's, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about my message rolling through my mind, and, she, and one of the lines in there, and it just goes through a daughter needs, right? So it just goes, a daughter needs, a daughter needs, a daughter needs, and one of them read, a daughter needs a dad to teach her to accept the differences in others. And I was like, wow, what a great quote. Right? What a great thing for, for the message. That's our responsibilities as dads. That's our responsibilities as moms to be able to teach our children to accept differences in people. Right? It, they might be wrong. They might be right. But the idea is we accept it because they're God's creation. That's what it's all about. Different is okay. God made different. But different cannot be divisive. Different cannot be divisive. So we've looked at our pride. We've looked at our preconceptions. And it brings us to a final point here, that our prejudices devalue God's creation. Our prejudices devalue God's creation. When we look at that word prejudice, We see in definition an irrational attitude of hostility directed against an individual, a group, a race, or their supposed characteristics. Once again, how they act, what they look like, what they do becomes so profane to us that we begin to act out with a level of hostility. could be physical. Most times it's all something that happens internally, the way we talk. But it once again stops us from the truth of the gospel going forth because these things begin to get in our way. Get Romans 2.11. For God shows no partiality. God shows no partiality. And we're the images bearers of God. Therefore, he's called us to show no partiality. Partiality is essentially favoritism. Um, that you know, God doesn't see us any other way. But why do we see his creation in another way. It's our prejudices. They devalue God's creation. You know, we could go through a list of different ones because there's all, there's all kinds of them out there. Racism, sexism, ageism, nationalism, right? And there's like all kinds of isms that you could put on there that are essentially these different beliefs that we have. But there's one in particular that I want us to talk about this morning. And that one that we're going to talk about is, is racism. And it's a belief that a race is the primary determinant of human traits and capacities and the racial differences produce an inerrant superiority of a particular race. That's powerful. That's strong. But what, did, what do we know in Galatians? That we are all one in Christ Jesus. We are all one in Christ Jesus. And hear me well. This is not a political or a social agenda. This is the implications of the truth of the gospel. We, we do that so many times. We begin, to, we begin to discuss these things. And we begin to get on this banter back and forth, missing the idea of seeing who we are because of who Christ is. It's about God's creation. You know, I can remember growing up, when it came to this particular area, my dad specifically, was. we were given instruction as kids that we did not make reference to other people, even just in stories, based upon any of their traits, right? Whether it was the color of their skin, whether it was their disability, whether it was their anything that could have been cast in a negative light. You looked for every way to describe that person aside from that because that's not what signifies who that person is. Ultimately, Christ decides who that person is, Right? And that stuck with me from a young, from a young age and, and walking and, and doing that and the importance of that. And I, I encourage you to do the same thing with your children and the same thing with your friends. You know, we're so quick to easily begin to describe somebody by those things. But sometimes, and not all times, sometimes it's a picture of something that's in our heart. Not all times. I'm not saying you can't do those things, right? But check your heart. Check your heart. Where do you come from in that situation? You think about the parable, the story of the Good Samaritan in Luke 10, right? It's such a great picture for us. There was such racism in that day with, that, with those groups of people. And the priest and the Levite both walked by this man who's left half dead 
for the sake of what? Their prejudices. Their view that their race was superior to someone else's. And then a good Samaritan of all is the one who ends up stopping by. And that's the picture of the gospel. That's the picture that despite who we are and where we come from and our backgrounds and all of these different things, that we are all found in the truth of who the Lord is. We are all one in Christ Jesus. You know, racism is not no new thing. It's been going on since the beginning of time. We can go all the way back, and you can look at it over and over and over again, and you can find countless, countless spots of where it went on. But, you know, we don't live back then. We live right now in 2019, and we deal with the things that we deal with here, just as everywhere else across the nation, everywhere across this country, all times has been impacted by this because of this idea of struggling with being one in Christ. I told you Rachel and I um, made that trip two weeks, actually almost two weeks ago now, and it was amazing because we didn't have our kids, um, even though we loved them to death. Um, we got a break, and we, were, we went to this conference, and on the way home, we actually had like about a day and a half to kind of mosey on back and take our time. And we were like, well, where do you want to go? What do you want to do? I was like, I have really no idea. I mean, let's just not go home. That's kind of the only thing that I'm worried about. Um, however, we end up getting there, it'll be fine with me. Um, so it, was, it was amazing. So we went up through Little Rock on the way there, um, and it was, uh, you know, we, we and the Corns family have major equilibrium deficiencies, and um, hills and mountains and turns and stuff is, uh, it's, not a, it's a not an enjoyable ride. Some of you may love riding through the mountains. It's miserable for me. Um, if I had to do it differently, I think I'd want to fly. So we said, well, what's the path of least resistance to get out of these hills uh, was kind of really our thought process. She's like, well, you want to go to Memphis? I said, um, I said yeah, sure. I mean, what's in Memphis? I have no idea. You know, I've been there before, but didn't think much of it. And it was like 45 minutes longer, which once again goes against my nature. Like, you know, I'm like trying to find the fastest route, and then I want to beat that route, even, you know, wherever I'm going. But it was like, it was longer and so forth and so on. But it was the least amount of hills, and it was, it was nice. So we said, we'll go there. So we do. We spent the night in West Memphis. We had a nice little, little dinner. We were just kind of hanging out. And you know, it was, you know, going to bed, it's probably like you already know what you're going to do the next day. We had, no, we had no plans. We're like, we'll just wake up, and we eat breakfast, and then... Once again, ultimately, we'll get home. And uh, she's like, you know, she's like, well, why, don't we go see, uh, why don't we go see Elvis Presley's house? I was like, whatever. You know, I'm thinking, ain't nothing but a hound dog. Um, so we go ride down through Memphis, and we pass, we pass through, and, uh, and you know, we, we didn't go in because it was too expensive, uh, and I didn't really want to anyway. Uh, so we saw a picture, we, you know, we take it, and we move on, and we're like, so we're here in downtown Memphis, and she's like, well, what do you want to do now? I said, I don't know. I don't want to go home yet. And uh, she's like, well, I saw something. She said, I saw this museum um, called the, the National Civil Rights Museum. I was like, eh, sounds good to me. I was like, how much does it cost? And she's like, oh, it's cheap. I was like, perfect. That's where I want to go. Um, so we pull up, and, um, you know, we, we begin to walk through, and then we go. And, you know, as, as, we're, as it's developing, I'm, I'm seeing, you know, what it's all about. Ultimately, it's the, it's the place where Martin Luther King was assassinated is how they built it. And so it's got, you know, it's, got a, it's rich in history. It's a beautiful place. Um, there's a really nice barbecue place next door that I had already decided I was going to go eat lunch. And um, so I was like, cool. So I was like, so, so we go in and check in, and, you know, they have the metal detectors and all this kind of stuff coming in. So, of course, I had to disarm my pocket knives, my screwdrivers, my flashlights, and I'm like, I'm going to go back and put it in my car. She's like, oh, no, she's like, no, we'll take it. I'm like, no, I've been there before. Y'all take it. Like, I'm not going to get it back. And she's like, no, no. And she gave me a nice little tag, and she took my stuff and put it in a safer room. I was like, oh, okay. All right. I was like, it was, it was a special knife to me. I didn't want, I, it was not one that I could replace easily. And so I go through and we get in there and I'm beginning to walk around and I'm seeing, and I'm starting to see all the, I'm starting to see all the political stuff going on. And I'm like, oh man, you know, I got a good deal, but here we go. Um, so I, I walked to the restroom and I said, you know, I said, Lord, I said, and, 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 and the, the message was kind of, had been stirring in my heart and I began to put some things down and some thoughts. And I said, Lord, I said, just, just do a work in my heart. Um, you know, because I didn't want to go in there with any kind of, because as I said, our preconceptions, our pride, and those things were beginning to seep in, and I was beginning to see it for what it was. And the Lord was faithful. He was faithful. Walked into that first exhibit, and it was all downhill for me emotionally after that. Um, I, I have never been stirred in such a way in my heart than I was throughout that thing, unto the point, unto the point where before I was probably halfway done, 
my stomach hurt. I had chills. I was, I was just, I was irritable. Um, and I was at a point of like, I just, I got to go. I, I, I'm, I'm done. I don't want to see anymore. And, it, and it's because the Lord had just showed me the reality of his people. And where not only me in times past, but where the church today has been in so many ways. Twenty nineteen, here we are today, marks four hundred years that that happen. Four hundred years. On the backs of six to seven million people. And you could sit here right now and you could say, Brother, you're out of line. You don't know what you're talking about. But I would tell you, I know one thing, and I know that the Lord is true. And that the people that He created bear His image. And that's the truth. That's the truth. Because this part of our history is one that's so polarizing, because it's one that causes so much problems and so much pain and so much, so much impact, all of a sudden we begin to take sides on which one's right and which one's wrong. Brothers and sisters, there ain't a right side. Jesus is the right side. You can talk about right and wrong. You can talk about situations and circumstances and the fact that certain things happen a certain way because certain things happen. And we can go down that road. All the while while people are being missed for the implications and the, and the gospel going forth in their life. All the while, while fellow brothers and sisters in Christ who have named the Lord as their Lord and Savior are in a place because of that, that they don't need to be. Right? So you can do that. But that's not what the Lord has for us. This is a very specific area. It's very particular to us. And I understand that it essentially singles out a very certain group of people. But that's not even the issue. The issue is that we were all created in the image of Christ. This is just the one we get to experience. Go somewhere else in the world, and you can pick a different. You can pick a different race, and you can pick a different situation. This is the one we deal with, church. This is the one that we deal with here today. Many of you would say, I'm not a racist, and many of you would be correct. But here's the thing. It's an area that we've got to be very careful as believers. It's an area we've got to be very careful. I actually read some studies. There's actually, this is a thing, I didn't make this up, it's called stealth racism. And I think this is one of the single biggest struggles for us as believers in Jesus Christ. First of all, there's the ones that people are self-aware that they are racist, but they don't want to tell anybody and they don't want to show it because there are certain outside restraints on their life. They just walk with this bitterness. But probably the one that's even more dangerous is those who may not consciously hate and who genuinely resent the accusation, but nevertheless hold to a political and social outlook that is racist. And when we talked about the things that we listen to, the news and the media, you may despise those things. You may not agree with them. But what do you fill yourself with on a daily basis? What truth do you fill yourself with from the outside? When there's a polarizing tragedy in our media with this element of race, do we quickly take sides? Do we quickly try to figure out who was right, who was wrong? Or do we walk along each other as brothers and sisters in Christ and say, regardless of which side you line up on, I care? Right? Do we care? Is it all about being right? Is it a matter of figuring out which person was justified in their hate? Or is it about getting yourself in a position saying, brother, sister, wherever you are, we love Jesus. The truth of the gospel says that we are all one in Christ Jesus. We can talk about that stuff later. As we, after we become partners in the gospel. And we can debate those things and we can discuss those things in love because remember, difference okay. But it cannot stop us in advancing, ultimately, the truth of the gospel. I was thinking, you know, have we really come that far in America, in the Christian church, since those days? 
And many of you would say, yeah, we have. Man, we don't do this anymore, and we don't do that, and we don't have this going on in all these different situations. But I would tell you, no, we just got more restraint now. We just got things that, that restrain us and stop us from those things. But we know that wickedness and where we stand in this ultimately as a country comes from the heart. It's not necessarily something that you act out. It's in your heart. Think about this. This is a fact. In November of 1998, South Carolina finally removed its ban on interracial marriage. 1998. It's nine years ago. Excuse me, a little longer than that. Bad math. Point is, all of you are alive pretty much. But think about that. Just now, 1998. That's crazy. And then they did a poll on top of that, and almost a third of the people opposed it. Almost a third of the people opposed it. So have we really come that far? Don't get caught up in the reality that you feel like we've done something so great. Apart from Christ, we do nothing great. We have to see people the way he does. But think about the church. You know, Martin Luther King has a great, had a great quote. He says, we must face the fact that in America, the church is still the most segregated major institution in America. At 11 a.m. on Sunday morning, when we stand and sing, and Christ has no east or west, we stand at the most segregated hour in our nation. This is tragic. Now, I will tell you, I am encouraged that Living Word Church has embraced this to the glory of God in so many ways. But we've not arrived. We've not arrived. As this is not about just seeing if we can be diverse. Ultimately, diversity is not the end. The end is that the purity of the gospel is being walked out in our lives as brothers and sisters in Christ. And look to God be the glory of diversity comes from that. And I believe it will. But that's not what we're after. We can, we can come up with tactics and games and things to create that. We're not trying to create that. We're trying to show the purity of the gospel and what that means to walk in that. So that was Martin Luther King said that so many years ago. Barner did a study, and they're a Christian research organization. They did a study here in 2019 in the summer to see where are churches and where is America at this time. And we've got some charts up here I'll look at. The first one shows it's, it's say nothing. This is talking about racial reconciliation. Say nothing is required of the church in re- racial reconciliation. 34% of elders, that's the generation before baby boomers, 30% of boomers, 27% of Gen X, and 20% of millennials. They say nothing's required by the church to do something. How many of you see that there's a path toward repairing the damage? 35% of millennials, 28 of Gen X, 20 of boomers, and 17 of elders. See the, path? See the pattern? Go to the next one. And then how many of us believe that repenting is a necessary part of this process? 23% of millennials, 19% of Gen X, 11% of boomers, and 10% of elders. Next one. So we see the pattern. And the pattern there is that the younger the believer, the the more that they are concerned with remedy in this problem. Right? And I believe the reason why is is because they've been able to step back generation by generation by generation and begin to see through a different lens the generations have before us. That their preconceptions and those things are not what they used to be. Right? So does that mean, you know, the millennials get picked on a lot, church. Come on, help me out here. You know, I mean, here's an opportunity to be thankful for the millennials. Right? That they see a path going forward and they desire reconciliation and repentance and a desire to see the truth of the gospel going forward. You know, there's, we all of those generations sit here in this room today. And I believe that every one of you here that's been named a child of God because of your salvation in Christ Jesus, the Lord is at work in your heart in one way or another, right? This is not meant to be a situation where you walk out of here and you say, there's no idea what he's talking about. Because truth is, in most cases, I might not. But the truth of the gospel is always good. And it's always true. And it's always working. And it's always stirring. So how do we respond as a church? How do we respond as Christians, as believers? What do we do from here? The first thing is, is we need to care more about God's creation than being right or wrong. First and foremost, 
and looking at that in three different areas is one, church, we've got to recognize that there is an actual problem. We've got to recognize that there's, there is something going on despite how we think, despite how we feel, despite what we have gone through, despite what we view, despite our experiences, and all these different things, and all these things that ultimately justify our sin. We've got to be willing to take a look at that. On top of that, we've got a desire to repent and to change. You know, when we say we repent, that means we have the desire to do something different going forward. We desire to not be the same that we were anymore. We've got to be able to repent. And ultimately, we must embrace others with the love that Christ did. Because back into our, in Galatians, that we are all one in Christ Jesus. We are all created equal. There is no Jew, nor Greek, nor male, nor female, nor slave, nor free. For we are all one in Christ Jesus. How's the gospel going to be advanced? How's it going to be advanced in these areas if we hold on so tightly? Church, we're called. We come here to, the, to this building each Sunday. We hear a message on the Word of God. And we walk out of these doors. And we automatically should be moving into mode of evangelism and discipleship. The advancement of the gospel. But gospel can't go places that it needs to go because we're not willing to go because our ideas our pride our preconceptions our prejudices stand in the way of the greatest news that's ever gone out the greatest news that's ever gone out i want to do something here this morning as pastor miko plays just in your seat not looking for anything out of the nothing different But I would want us to believe as a church that we would pray a prayer, one of of repentance. That we would pray one of caring deeply about the brothers and the sisters that walk alongside of us every Sunday morning, in our workplaces, in our families, in all those situations. That the Lord would touch our hearts and bring us to a place of the reality of the truth of the gospel. we come before you this morning and we thank you for the word that Pastor Matt brought to us. We thank you for his willingness to share his heart and his willingness to share the convictions that we should all have. Lord, I ask God that you'd help us to recognize and to acknowledge the areas in our life that that are not right. God, help us as a as a congregation, but as individuals, but to acknowledge the areas of prejudice in our heart. Lord, we can be so blinded to it, we don't see it. And so, Lord, we ask that you would forgive us. Forgive us, Lord, where we have erred and where we have gone wrong. But we want to be a people that represent your love most perfectly. But we want to be a people that respond correctly in these areas of our life. So Lord, I ask God that as the gospel moves forward in our lives, that it would move forward in all the different places that you desire it to go, that we would not 
hinder it or restrict it because of our our prejudices or because of our our weaknesses, but that we would be bold and to declare it with a sincere heart. With a a sincere heart. And I thank you for what you're doing in the life of this church. In Jesus' name we pray.